Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon. I'm your host and groove mistress and cruise director, Madam Perry. But you can call me Jan or Jennifer or JP if you're a musician. And uh, I am just happy to be here and happy that you're here. This has been such a good month, and it's getting better and better, and tonight's going to be so good. You're going to love this. Everybody's excited about this show tonight, and as am I. Um, Let's see, recently we had Michael Debar. He was fun. Mike Kaplan, funny man. And don't forget his new, uh, Mike Kaplan's new album is AKA. It's uh, been submitted for consideration for a nomination for a Grammy, which I think he's going to be, he's going to be good on that. Uh, so if you haven't got it, go out and get it. He's so funny and such a nice guy. Also, Michael Debar, you know, his um, documentary out is Who Do You Want Me To Be? Uh, such uh, he was such a very nice guy too. Uh, we've had so many good shows uh, coming up, and in, in, I mean lately, and coming up, of course, we've got Jen Lancaster uh, coming on. Let's see, her new book, The United States of Anxiety, is going to be released. I believe it's October second. And if you remember, also Robert Trebor, um, he was on my show about earlier this year. But Robert Trebor, if you don't. Uh, know the name, you know him, he played Salmoneus on the uh, TV show Xena, Warrior Princess, and Hercules. He played Salmoneus, the salesman, and also he's done a lot of TV and movie stuff for years, but if you saw the movie Son of Sam, he played the Son of Sam, and so we were on talking about his book, The Haircut, Who Would Be King?, and uh, as he says, you know, who better to write about that than me? Because I played the sleazy salesman and I played a, a, a serial killer. So anyway, Robert Trevor's doing some online readings of his book. And uh, he's got one coming up. I believe it's October 3rd or 4th. I'll share that. But he's asked me to moderate the Q&A part of it. And I am thrilled to do that. So anyway, uh, yeah, so Robert Trevor will be doing that and I'll share it. And like I said, Jen Lancaster also um the books from Matt Coyle, uh, Lost Tomorrows, and Julie Blomacky, which was um, Slide to Unlock, those have been delivered. And yes, yes, that is a very handsome uh, Starfleet commander in the video, giving the names of the winners from his ship. But um, no, you can't win a date with him. He's got a girlfriend. So anyway, tonight, guest. Um, well, this I, I've been reading this book, and I got to admit, I've been a little slow on it. Hoss, um, it's one of those books I get a hold of where it's so good that I find myself rereading and rereading to absorb, especially the not only the material but the way it's written. It's done so well. Um, my guest is an assistant professor of early Christian history and literature in the Department of Classical Near Eastern and Religious Studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. 
I've studied on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'll, I'll make a fool of myself, so I'll ask him. Anyway, I'll ask him to describe what he's uh, what he's the professor of and what he studied, because the man has got some serious cred for the subject of which he has written. And uh, the book is Republican Jesus, and I want to welcome here into the genie bottle for the first time, and hopefully not the last, author and professor Tony Caddy. Tony, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Get comfortable. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm as comfortable as one can be when talking about some tough issues. I, uh, I hear you about reading and rereading. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think about how stuff. much I've read and reread of this, and I'm thinking all of the research and work you have done, uh, this, is, this is your career. This is, this is what you do. And I'm thinking, my gosh, the, all of the manuscripts and things that you've studied and poured over and, and compared and, and um, I fact-checked and everything, you know, one against another, I, I'm just um, – I'm just so impressed. Now, if you would help me, because I don't want to embarrass myself more than I probably already will tonight. Uh, but no, stop it. <laughs> you talk about the. I was trying to finish reading part of your bio. The unceded territory mm-hmm. of the spelled. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I, and I am, you know, uh, a very privileged uh, person of settler uh, descent of white European uh, descent. Uh, working on uh, Musqueam land, and so I, I, I acknowledge that uh, humbly uh, that this is stolen land that I work on, uh, and it, it is uh, an interesting colonial context in which to think about some of the issues in this book, which often involve uh, abuses of power and, and discrimination. Um, so I'm actually, I, I'm someone who uh, has kind of always had tough questions about religion. You know, I kind of, uh, I grew up in a working class, relatively conservative uh, context in, in Levittown, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, I, I went through Catholic schools and I, you know, I was that type of kid who, you know, when I learned that Santa wasn't real, my next question was, well, what about God? Oh, and, uh, you know, I was that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, you know, in theology classes, I was the annoying one with the questions like, you know, so uh, what about my Jewish aunt? Can she get into heaven? Um, so this is uh, this is the, the kind of questions that I think I've I've always been interested in, and you know I wanted to, you know, you asked a little bit about uh, how I uh, got onto this uh, this path, and you know I uh, I've always wondered about Jewish Christian relations to a certain degree, and uh, you'll notice there's quite a bit of that in in this book. I um, I am someone who focuses on the Jewish context of uh, Christian origins and. So I got into to college wanting to be pre-med and, uh, you know, wanting to, wanting to make some money and <laughs> have a, a, what I thought was a quick and easy career. And I took some of those <laughs> elective classes, uh, you know, because they fit my schedule. They were easy to, to fit in, and uh, they just opened my mind. I, I got, had the opportunity to read these texts that I'd never heard of before, texts like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the books of Enoch. And I just – I loved them because they – opened my mind to this diversity of ancient religious uh, identities that I had no idea existed. And it's not so much of a thoroughly things from my own Catholic upbringing, but it definitely complicated them. And so I've been pursuing those complications. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just taken me uh, to kind of where I'm at in my 
my, my research, which is mainly on this kind of Jewish context of uh, Christianity. But then I uh, took this job at the University of British Columbia. And I'm, again, I'm just really fortunate to, to be there. And, you know, people have called me an, a, a Trump exile because I happened to get the job shortly after the election. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's given me this, this opportunity to, you know, see things a little bit differently. So I was teaching New Testament um, as part of my doctoral training at the University of Texas in a, you know, pretty relatively uh, conservative context. Uh, and then I got to, you know, Vancouver, and I'm teaching students who are asking all of these questions that are really critical of the American Christian right. There's this curiosity among both American and Canadian uh, students and students from a broader global context about, uh, you know, some of the things that are being done, you know, like uh, Paula White, uh, Paula White came, the uh, head uh, chairwoman of Trump's Evangelical Advisory Board, uh, using the gospel to justify putting kids in cages at the U.S.-Mexico border, right, and ISIS kind of harsh uh, policies there. And my students are asking me questions like, you know, what's the, you know, what's the real biblical story here? What's, the, what's a better interpretation that doesn't uh, spew this type of hate? And I started to realize in conversation with them that a number of my students who identify as evangelical in the Canadian context didn't fit the understanding of evangelicals, which was admittedly stereotyped, uh, that I had. And what stood out the most is that they didn't uh, hold to the same sort of economic and political conservatism that I associated with uh, the Christian right in the U.S. right now. And, uh, you know, so I started to ask questions, and I started to realize that there's a really distinctive uh, sort of history of economic conservatism in the way that the, the current U.S. Christian right has come together in the way that their views have been shaped that doesn't hold for uh, evangelicals elsewhere in the world and doesn't hold for progressive evangelicals or moderate, some moderate evangelicals in the U.S. Um, so it was trying to trace uh, the modern context in which the Christian right came together and their in particular interpretations of Jesus came together that I uh, you know, started writing this book. And it's been a really interesting sort of journey since then, which I've learned so much and continue to learn. It's like so much. And I wonder, is it so much more now or is it just because of uh, because we have media uh, so easily uh, present to consume that we, we see more and know more? than we would have, you know, back in um, HUAC things. Um, so, yeah, so then you're looking at Trump exile. I like that. Okay. But, um, like, oh, you're one of the first across <laughs> the board, the Trump exile. Okay, you're, you're, you're at the beginning of the line. Um, so let's start back with, and the, your book begins with um, your Republican Jesus. Let me just say the name again. You know, Republican Jesus and um, – I'm sorry. I, I'm just uh, just agog at the idea of all this. The cover. Who did the cover <laughs> of your book? I've, I've got to. I've got to know. Oh yeah, let's let's plug her, please. Uh, Leah Chandra of the uh, University of California Press did the design, and it's just it's terrific, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. It is perfect. Um. Oh. So yeah, we have this you know, evolutionary schema, right, uh, that, you know, from Jesus as a baby to uh, the risen Jesus holding semi-automatic rifles 
um, which is, it, it's, it's so uh, provocative, but it's also, you know, it, I wish it were, it were something that were just totally crazy. Um, I wish it were something that is a total like fantasy, but you know, sure enough, in, in the chapter where I talk about uh, gun control and immigration, I work through some uh, conservative views of Jesus as being very much a, you know, a, a gun uh, kind of gunslinging brute, uh, a cowboy, uh, if you will. <laughs> yeah, so Republican Jesus, how the right has rewritten the Gospels, and I want you to write that down. And for people who, some people listen to the show while they're riding in the car or while they're um, you know, in transit or running, so don't worry. I will always share on all of my social media, not just for Madam Perry Salam, but for Jennifer Perry, uh, I will be sharing information so that you can, where, where to buy the book is put out by the was it University of Carolina, uh, California Press. And, uh, That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I'll make sure that you know where to get it because it officially releases what um, October. Yeah, right? October sixth. Okay, October sixth. Um, yeah, when I look at the cover of the book, and yeah, yeah, you can't help but think, okay, you got those great images there. So what am I going to say? Um, and maybe that's why it came to the back of my mind. Let's see, where should we structure this? Maybe start with the story of of Jesus and his parents being. I don't know what refugees escaping or whatever, comparing that hmm. to killing Jesus by um, uh, what's his name Dugard and O'Reilly, and then um, maybe talk about up to um, America around the time of, of World War One, uh, housing on American activities, how all that was just part of the plot uh, to move America in a certain way, a national prayer breakfast. I always wondered how that got started. Now I know, and then <laughs> I thought, and then I'll have to make sure I hurry so I can be certain that I ask uh, Tony. Um, where, did Jesus have to? Or my husband says, did Jesus have to have a background check when he applied for a license for the AR-15s? But that <laughs> 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 picture. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> yep. You know, there's uh, there's a new book by uh, Phil Robertson, the Duck Dynasty guy. Uh, oh, yeah. You know the Duck Dynasty yeah, series, uh, and uh, you know he's the, the whole. Yeah, <laughs> and there's that whole consumer culture around it too. You know he's a, a big you know hunter, uh, and he's got a book that's called Jesus Politics, and it is uh, it's actually it, it, and many of the things that I'm debunking throughout this book. Uh, little did I know he was going to write this book that is almost like exactly the template of the things that I was uh, debunking. But he talks about how. Uh, you know, with guns in particular, these liberals are such hypocrites because they're not talking about um, uh, control for uh, rocks and clubs, even though Cain must have killed Abel with a rock or a club, um, as if an AR-15, which can massacre people and do- has in all of these uh, just tragic incidents in recent history, um, often uh, in the name of Christ and uh, sort of Christian nationalism, uh, it, these, it, uh, you know, the, these AR-15s are weapons of terroristic proportions that kill so many people so quickly to compare them to a rock or a club or any weapon from Jesus's context. Forget the Cain and Abel story, but to go to the first century, um, it's just outlandish. Indeed. So let me ask you this. Can you start with the um, uh, the stories as you were describing? Uh, mm-hmm. I love this, this acronym you have. Uh, we're talking about the book Killing Jesus. 
and you were talking about the story, you know, uh, I guess they're, I don't know what their supporting documents are or how they wrote them, but um, I think you described something that was the, the G-O-P method of writing, the mm-hmm. garble, omit, just tell us, paste. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so this is uh, this is kind of fun. I was trying to have a little fun here because this book, you know, it, we're dealing with some serious issues, some pretty dark and disturbing mm-hmm. issues. So I wanted to have a little bit of fun in there, you know. Um, so GOP Which method is, is something that other people have done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the GOP method, the garble omit and patch method, is uh, how I describe the way that uh, the Christian right treats these biblical texts. Um, so they'll garble certain words, especially, you know, not knowing the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic original text, uh, the original languages. Um, so they'll garble the translation. Sometimes they'll even take the English translation and go in a totally different direction with it. They'll omit um, total, uh, you know, literally cut sections out of a passage. So one of my favorite examples is Joel Osteen, the uh, Texan prosperity gospel preacher, big time, big money, uh, you know, Texan preacher here. Um, He takes the the beginning of Jesus's ministry in the gospel of Luke, where Jesus is reading from Isaiah and saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me to help the poor. And then uh, Osteen uh, goes on to say, comfort the hurting and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But what he's done is he's omitted uh, the really important stuff in the middle of that verse where Jesus actually says, not just help the poor, but release the captives, give sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. And he omits that part. And then he patches the, together uh, the, you know, the other part, the you know, bookends of the verse to make it as though Jesus is about, uh, you know, he isn't about structural change, right? He's not about doing things like releasing the incarcerated or giving health care uh, to the, you know, to the people with disabilities, right? Or letting the oppressed go free, heaven forbid. Um, so instead, he, he gives us this omitted and patched together uh, um, passage, and then he goes further. You know, he says that that last part to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is, uh, you know, what, what Jesus says: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Well, he spins this. He garbles what acceptable means. So it's really about receiving favor. It's uh, the favorable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, in which you. Uh, the individual, the Christian, needs to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to accept God's favor, which is, in fact, a very um, uh, economically conservative rewriting of a verse that's actually about, you know, structural uh, uh, structural freedom, right? Structural uh, um, uh, uh, help for uh, people in need. Um, so that's a, a, an example that I like to use for the Garbola Mitt passage. And I'd say that it really, um, the, what we see the Christian right doing with biblical passages, it, it is so consistent with the type of uh, propaganda, media propaganda that we see right now. So what, uh, you know, media specialists will sometimes talk about as super cuts, where, uh, it, you know, it, the uh, Trump administration and uh, the Trump campaign puts out these ads, for instance, where they've taken um, bits and pieces of the of, uh, video from the protests 
uh, that have been going on in uh, reaction to the horrific murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others. And they take the parts of the protest where there's fire and it just looks like anarchy. And then they splice them together without showing any of the peaceful protests. Right. And then they put Joe Biden at the end, surrounded by a bunch of black leaders in a church. Yeah. And they and they you know, it says you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. This is this is the same type of tactics that we see in the way that they're putting together. They're splicing together these biblical uh, versus to support their own message. And it's just, it's, it's problematic, but not because it's, you know, a sloppy methodology, although I, it bothers me as a historian, but because they're using <laughs> it to, like, they're using it to marginalize people. They're using it to support the marginalization of people of color, of immigrants, the LGBTQ community, people with disabilities, and the poor writ large. So it's a weapon. Uh, Republican Jesus is a weapon, uh, really, in the way that they've reconstructed these uh, biblical verses. And, it, you know, uh, progressive Christians are really under a, a sort of attack right now by a lot of this uh, as well. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, all right, now you're back. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the, yeah, the garble omit and, and patch. This is when, and, and glad you mentioned um, Osteen, because uh, around 2004, um, I was going to Georgia State University, and yeah, I was a late bloomer, okay, because I was like the age of the parents of most of the students, in, of all the students in there pretty much. But I did a summer semester in Madrid, and a lot of the younger kids, some of, there was a bunch of them kind of took me into their group, and they were just a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed them. And several of the ones who would say, you know, well, um, talk about certain things, you know, well, I'm Christian, I believe and this and that, and they would go study their Bible at night. But we would get into these museums because we went to the Museo de Prado and um, several other museums mm-hmm. there, and then we spent our last three days in Paris, and we went to the Louvre, and I remember these, um, you know, the, these young women going, looking at the paintings, and they'd say, oh my gosh, these people painted some really horrible stuff you know it's like you know john the baptist head on a plate or abraham about to stab you know uh, a sacrifice his son and things like that and they were going that's like, where what what's wrong with these people i said well they're just trying to illustrate the stories from the bible the best they can they go that's not in the bible <laughs> I go, well i'm going well honey it is in the bible no no that's not the bible i said well, okay well, well when we get back to our dorm tonight you know we'll we'll go over the what you've got in the Bible, and I can, you know, see. Because I thought, you know, I've been their age, and, you know, and I know what I was raised to believe, and some things that, you know, I've changed about, or or misconceptions right, right. I had. So I'm not going to fuss. I'm going, okay, well, we can just go in, and you can show me, and I can show you what I saw. And then I realized we get back there, and there's a Bible, but what they really do is, is they spent their evenings, you know, with the yellow highlighter going through Joel Austin books, highlighting the, you know, paragraphs. And I'm going, well, well, let me show you something else, you know. And, yeah, it was a real revelation for them. They were just shocked, you know, the, the head on the platter and the whole thing, you know. They were, what? Right, yeah, yeah. And, and then, then yeah, they really were shocked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, just it's so common to think of the Bible as the good book, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the good book. Uh, but to find uh, so many uh, things in there that really aren't good, but are quite 
uh, you know, typical of the human experience of the, the uh, you know, history of humanity, really, uh, genocide and uh, um, uh, polygamy and slavery and, and rape and anti-Judaism. Um, to see some of these things in the Bible, uh, it, you know, it's, to some people it's really disturbing. And so they try to either avoid it. I mean, my grandma used to tell me, never read the book of Revelation. Just don't do it. <laughs> so, you know, you can just avoid it entirely. Uh, or you can, you know, you can whitewash it. And the whitewashing can be really dangerous, too. Um, you know, if, for instance, many English translations of the Bible uh, will take the words that mean slaves in, in ancient Greek and Hebrew and translate them as servants. Um, in ways that really uh, it, it, it just softens and uh, kind of yeah, uh, downplays the uh, just really heinous uh, experiences of slaves um, mm-hmm. in, in the ancient world. And, of course, in, in the modern usage of the Bible in, for instance, uh, the uh, um, antebellum American uh, slavery, context of slavery as well. Yeah, and even if they just think of a servant as like, oh, well, let's see, I can identify that with the uh, certain characters on Downton Abbey. That's still a you know a, a very mm-hmm. severe class system. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, we see and we see it uh, kind of that even the power structure uh, replicated in some ways by you know even if you're not viewing it as actual slavery. Um, which it was, um, the, you know, like Ralph Drollinger, who runs the White House Bible Studies, these kind of weekly Bible studies uh, in the White House that uh, uh, allegedly, I always wonder how much of this is a publicity stunt, but allegedly a number of uh, Trump's cabinet members are regularly attending, um, and they also run this uh, Drollinger's uh, uh, organization, Capital Ministries, also runs these Bible studies in, in the House and the Senate and in foreign governments as well. Um, you know, for him, uh, this uh, slave language is he carries it forward. So when, you know, you have texts like First Peter and Ephesians and Colossians saying slaves obey your earthly masters, for him, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, workers obey your bosses. Um, so it becomes a, an endorsement of uh, a, a ruthless capitalist structure uh, of um, money making where there is uh, profit seeking where there is not kind of workers rights there's not union rights there's not um, wage protections uh, and living wages for that matter there's not health care benefits so mm. it's, it's interesting to see how even that kind of slavery uh, language can get restructured in a, in a way where the power uh, the, the abuses of power are um, also really problematic in the modern context um, so both whitewashing and appropriating the slavery language, but using it to another problematic end. You know, that even moves me up to um, something I was rereading today. Um, if I can just uh, read a little of, of uh, your book, Republican Jesus, says to legitimize their politics resentment, the Tea Partiers and their successors have relied on fake histories about race and religion in America. These are not just fake histories, but disturbingly problematic histories um, about deciphering the ways tele- T-evangelicals, the Tea Party evangelicals, uh, understand American history is important because it's what they think of when they hear Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. And then um, next page is, Mich- oh, you, 
you know, you, you are so right, and you do understand. For a subject so heavy, uh, it does take a, a good writing style to keep us from going, well, you know, just just give up. This is We're, we're underwater. No, um, you have a way of kind of keeping us keeping us afloat. Um, I love this paragraph that begins with Michelle Bachman, whose interminable meme trail has nearly broken the Internet, has served as one of the gatekeepers of the Tea Party's fake history. Uh, the 2012 presidential hopeful memorably claimed that the founding fathers, quote, worked tirelessly until slavery was no more in the United States. Okay, really? <laughs> and mm-hmm. then just goes on about why it was a good thing, you know, and just totally uh, washes the, that century of, of, of harsh uh, treatment, institutionalized slavery, and goes on. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like it's just... Uh, <laughs> let's just get a new script. Let's just let's just like nothing different than changing fashions or styles of clothes that you wear. You know, we wore that back then. We wear this now. This is a style. Yep, yep, yeah. It's 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 scary. And you know, Bachman, she's drawing on a, a legacy of um, uh, that. It's often associated with uh, a guy named Rush Dooney, uh, a Christian Reconstructionist in the mid twentieth century of. Um, <laughs> really emphasizing theologically a kind of uh, how Christianity uh, justifies slavery, how Christianity, uh, um, I should say, uh, how uh, slavery allowed uh, Christianity to civilize Africans. Um, Mm. And it's just this really kind of disgusting uh, idea, which it, it developed in the time of slavery, but it took on some new theological significance in the 20th century. Um, but this idea that Christianity and whiteness and Europeanness are fused together, and African and heathenness or paganness are fused together, um, so that uh, Christianity is something that uh, even you know through the slave the process of enslavement will, will actually help. Um, Africans to become better people, uh, which is, it's just, it's really, uh, really quite nasty. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's something that uh, we do, we do still see with Bachman and some of these uh, far right types today. And we see it with, uh, for instance, the shooter at the, the Charleston Mother Emanuel uh, church is kind of tragic shooting where, you know, it's, it, this, this person um, thought of, black people as not like Christian enough. Right. And these are actually Christians and he's, he doesn't view them as, uh, as Christian enough. And he, he has this idea that they're um, criminal like, and um, I believe he posted things along the lines of uh, they rape our women, our being uh, white Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this idea that we see time and again, unfortunately now, um, uh, as these uh, terrorists, um, uh, sometimes in the name of Christianity, sometimes not, um, are uh, attacking people, uh, whether it's uh, synagogues or a, a progressive church like the Mother Emanuel Church um, run by, you know, the pastor's a Democratic senator, hate senator, um, or the El Paso shooting. In each of these cases, uh, the um, Trump and right-wing and NRA-fueled rhetoric language of Others, ethnic others, people who don't look white, people who aren't like the us that they encode so much of the of Trump speak with. I, I call it his double speak. Um, you know, the, the us, the people who don't fit, who look different, 
uh, who have different uh, heritage and uh, histories, um, well, they're all criminals or thugs or rioters or, you know, uh, you know whatever, whatever term you want to put on it, um, often dehumanizing and demeaning uh, terms that get used. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, this racism is so widespread and the terrorists uh, that we see uh, enacting it are radical examples of, a, of this kind of white nationalism. But in certain cases, it's a clearly very biblically fueled um, Christian white nationalism. So I talk a little bit in the book about the, uh, the Poe shooting. I could also have talked about the, excuse me, the Poe synagogue shooting that is uh, in Passover, uh, April 2019. And I could also talk about the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in uh, uh, Pittsburgh the year before. Oh, it's just these horrible, horrible um, events where a, a shooter in the misguided name of biblical uh, um, anti-Judaism is going into, is going into synagogues thinking uh, they're going into synagogues thinking that if they murder these people, that's actually a righteous act. And so the Poe shooter actually said in his manifesto that, uh, you know, the best thing he can do for the Jews, the best way that he can be a Christian and love his neighbor is by murdering the Jews before the Jews can murder Christians and mm. genocide uh, the white uh, Christian European race. And this stuff is just, I mean, it's all, it's all bogus, of course. Um, and it, it's also something that we see with the QAnon uh, conspiracy theorists today. Um, but the idea that you can uh, love your neighbor uh, by killing them is this conflation of an idea of self-defense with aggression, which is becoming all too common in Christian nationalism right now, where we see, you know, these kind of guns for Jesus um, type people who are, they, they think that to defend the Christian nation um, is something they need to do at all costs. And so the anti-Judaism element comes in, in, uh, you know, the manifestos of these, of uh, the Poe shooter, for instance, he's quoting a bunch of biblical verses, um, both him and the Tree of Life synagogue shooter mentioned Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 8, uh, referring to Jews as children of the devil, uh, which is a, it actually is one of the few places uh, in the New Testament that I think is actually a quite anti-Jewish sentiment, um, as opposed to a kind of inter-Jewish conflict between a Jewish Christ-following group and other Jews. This, I think, really is a kind of in, a, a, an anti-Jewish sentiment that preachers and, uh, you know, and authors and historians and scholars should be denouncing. You know, they should, I just wish that uh, this, these, these people had encountered the idea of the Jewishness of early Christianity and the particular historical context in which there's a kind of partings of the ways between Judaism and uh, what we come to know as Christianity in, in the first century, um, because it's a quite complex history. And what happens is the Christian right looks at it and flattens it, flattens out the diversity of early Judaism and of, and of uh, the identities of Christ followers in the first century, which were very often associated with Judaism. You know, Paul calls himself an Israelite. Jesus says, uh, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill in his Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so, to, you know, a big thing, a big aspect of what I'm doing in terms of the uh, historical reconstruction side 
uh, of this project of Republican Jesus is to recognize the Jewishness of Jesus in the Gospels and to, to recognize a much more complex early history of what we now know as Christianity. Um, and I just I wish that this were something that were taught uh, more broadly and preached more broadly in Christian contexts. Uh, where, you know, a supersessionist idea that Christianity replaced Judaism is very clearly um, agitating, uh, you know, somewhat uh, disgruntled people to attack and demean uh, Jews, but not only Jews, Muslims, uh, and anyone that is non-white at the end of the day. Yeah, and by the way, let me just mention too. You mentioned that the evangelicals, and since you mentioned QAnon, um, in Sunday's New York Times, let's see, let me get my copy under the light here. Uh, Sarah Posner, uh, who's the author of Unholy Why mm-hmm. Evangelicals Worship at the Altar of Donald Trump, uh, she has a col- um, she had a column called "The Evangelicals Battling QAnon," and that is on page eight, uh, the New York Times. Um, in the Sunday Review section here, yeah, and um, and yeah, and speaking of Jews being, you know, I was, another thing is that I remember, uh, and of course I was raised um, in the Methodist Church, but I think I had a grandfather who mm-hmm. was uh, um, what do they call the Holiness preacher or Pentecostal, mm-hmm. so it's pretty pretty serious hardline stuff. And I remember being a child in church and hearing the, you know the screaming and thinking, man, what's up with it? <laughs> Why they got to yell at everybody? <laughs> um, and, and then too, and as I would grow up, then hear that I, I would always think, well, if, if the Jews are so, man, then how come, uh, then how come every year at Christmas, uh, women's uh, Jewish women's groups would always offer to work in place of uh, Christian workers in hospitals and so forth, so they can be with their families on Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would they do that if they <laughs> if they were so? Mm-hmm. That's, to me, that was a very <laughs> very loving and a very kind thing to do. If you're listening live right now, I'm talking with Tony Ketty uh, about his book, uh, Republican Jesus, and this is a great book. I want everybody to get it. I'm about to open up the phone, so if that's okay with you, Tony? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, give me just yeah, a minute. Please. I'm going to give you a second to get a drink of water and, um, and just uh, play a little message here. It'll just be um, – where did I lose? Okay, it'll just be under a minute, so uh, – Get yourself a sip of water, and we'll be right back. <laughs> I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic, I, I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Perry Salon. I mean, this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh. Eh? When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the dog, I'm like, she's going to an interview. And I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Oh, Sebastian, that's such a sweet thing to say. Um, <laughs> we, yes, fortunately, we haven't had dogs bark yet. Um, they they become little um, they get real mafia like during the show. They get real um, they kind of bark a little bit because they want a treat, and then they go, you know, you got a nice little guest. You got a nice guest on tonight. Um, 
be ashamed if something happened during the show and you like you couldn't hear him because we were barking. Where's that tree? You know how they do. You know. All right. So, um, and by the way, you know, we did mention we did mention uh, Pastor Paula White came, and uh, you know maybe we should think of it a little bit differently. Now, yes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm Southern. You, you, you seem to, you seem to you understand my accent, so I figured maybe you thought I was from New York or somewhere. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know, Southern women, you know, we're a little different. Um, so I, how do you know? Last time I saw her, a few times I've seen her pictures of her in the White House, and um, she's got the Krylon, you know, sprayed on dresses, and maybe that's just her way of trying to help people, um, help people engage in uh, that laying on hands prayer. I'm just saying, okay? So, <laughs> all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's go. Um, okay. Have a call here. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're on the air with Tony Ketty. So just uh, say hello, introduce yourself, and ask me a question. Okay, caller. All right. How about this? Try that. All right. Hi. Welcome. You're on Madam Perry's Salon with Madam Perry and Tony Ketty. Just introduce yourself and say hello. Hi. This is Becky Kyle. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, so I know all about this. One of my first (laughs) memories of being, yeah. Well, I, you know, I never went to the principal's office growing up, but I went to the pastor's office a whole lot. (laughs) <laughs> because I asked questions <laughs> and the Sunday school oh, teacher yeah. <laughs> sent me away. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, I, one of the first things I remember is we were, we were, you know, every Sunday in children's church, we'd sing Jesus loves the little children, you know, red and yellow, black and white, mm-hmm. they're precious in his sight. And then you turn around and you get into Sunday school class and the Sunday school teacher is telling us that black kids are cursed forever. Oh, no. You know, mm-hmm. that, that Cush has damned the, this whole people to inferiority and cursing and to, to being cursed. And their curse is the mark of their dark skin. And, you know, my mother mm. was pretty progressive. And she the first black person I saw, she said, no, you know, a black person is from a you know, a warmer, sunnier part of the world than you and I came from, and their skin is an adaptation to environment. You know, she she never could say that she could get on with evolution, but she could admit to science and adaptation to environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I yeah, ended up in Dr. Scale's yeah. office. I, you know, I ended up in Dr. Scale's office a lot. And it was just like, you know, oh, here you are again. You know, what, what are you in for, kid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, it, it, they don't like questions. Yeah, and I'm so glad you thing, mentioned that. Yeah. The one thing that Dr. Scales yeah. said is ask all the questions you need to ask. He said, you know, at some point you will have a crisis in faith. And he said, you know, if you don't have answers for yourself, how can you how can you deal with any kind of crises you have? He said, ask questions mm-hmm. about everything. 
you know, not not mm. just your faith. Just ask questions. Be curious. Keep your mind open and learn things all the time. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what he was doing in a Southern Baptist church, honestly. <laughs> Well, I love that advice. That's such great advice. Yeah, but you know, it it, it was the only thing that kept me from you know, like uh, literally Mm -hmm. having my mother drop me off to church and then walking over to the Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) You're taking my tithe money and putting it in donuts or Dairy Queen instead. I wasn't yeah, quite yeah. that bad a kid until I got to high school, <laughs> and by then I stopped going. I mean, you know, mm. but I mean, yeah. I I can't get with an organized religion, and yet I can't I can't tell you. Well, Jennifer knows me. I can't tell you how many times I have been banned. <laughs> from various Christian sites for citing Bible verses, chapter and verse, and what version it came from. <laughs> right, right. I, I've know, got to say, I think I've been danced from a few of these sites myself. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> yeah. How come you know, we, it's, never, it's just how come so we never met? I, we never got... Hmm? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, now at last. You know, I just I think it's so important, like you're saying, to to ask the questions, but also you know, to cite the verses, right? To go to the text yeah, um, and to read, read different translations too, because translation is always, uh, you know, it's never a, a neutral act. There's always, uh, you know, in, in the act of translation, there's um, a, a certain politics uh, involved. And, you know, even, uh, you know, the, the passage you mentioned, the, the curse of, uh, of ham that gets uh, used so often as a, you know, the, the, this, mm-hmm justification for uh, black people being inferior, it never actually mentions skin color. It mentions, uh, you know, cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves, uh, shall he be to his brothers. Uh, and so it's not, it's actually the language of slavery that becomes the reason that skin color gets kind of brought into it. And it becomes a justification for specifically uh, the enslavement of Africans uh, in uh, the uh, civil war and, you know, the pre-civil war period. Um, so it's, yeah. it's, when you go back to the text there, you can see that and it challenges, it challenges kind of these uh, too easy, too hasty views um, that often just cause hatred. They, uh, you know, they fan hatred. I never saw my congregation, um, the church congregation, so angry as when um, after uh, Saigon fell. And, Mm. you know, of course, being Southern Baptists, we sent money after money after money through various organizations to the Chinese in hopes that we would evangelize them. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly we get a whole influx of Asian people coming and they want to join our church. Mm. And the congregation is up in arms. Um, they don't want, you know, they don't want the refugees. They don't want, they don't want these people coming into their church. Will they be clean? You know, will they know the language? Mm -hmm. You know, yada, yada, yada. The interesting thing Mm -hmm. is that church now 
is an inner city church. The the very white people have flown away to the to the western parts of Oklahoma City, to the far western parts, and left that church. The last time we were in Oklahoma City, even the church that they built to try to avoid the the Vietnamese refugees is gone. You know, the site is empty and for rent. And the main church, the old main church, is a um, Laotian, Asian, Hispanic. Um, it's a multicultural church now, and it apparently is thriving quite well with a whole mixed congregation. And, you know, I oh, wonderful. Remember yeah, well, and Dr. Scales at that point, you know, the, the pastor that kept me from going completely off the rails, literally said in that in that uh, sermon, you know, love thy neighbor. You know, he God didn't say love your neighbor just like you, and everyone is your neighbor. You know, the whole world is your neighbor. We are interconnected. You know, mm-hmm. these people are coming for help, and we're supposed to help refugees. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really strange experience. Yeah, I can but, yeah. Uh, Well, here, Here's another thing, too, Becky, it's going on a little further just to get more, because I've only got a few more minutes with uh, Tony Ketty mm-hmm. here. Tony, I've got all these, these uh, notes that's going on about the, uh, uh, with the housing un-American uh, <laughs> the Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, I've got all my little notes here. Communazi. Um, Graham and Falwell oh, yeah. were anti-civil rights. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Falwell called Falwell, them civil rights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, use the Book of Proverbs <laughs> to uh, say, you know, to support the uh, uh, free enterprise system. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, since I've only got a few minutes, and so you're going to have to uh, vote. You're going to have to get the book. Uh, you're just going to have to, and you're going to be glad you did, uh, because I've told my husband, I said, you're going to love reading this one I'm through. You're going to love it, because uh, <laughs> I just keep going back and reading <laughs> chapters over and over. But um, Oh, thank you. How did, so tell me, you know, there are things like the, um, there's just so much going on here. And yes, I was at a Billy Graham rally once. I found it, found it strange. But um, uh when, because of the great cover of your book, the excellent cover, when did Jesus get AR-15s? <laughs> oh, well, let me see. Let me see if I can do this quickly. <laughs> when did he get AR-15s? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you know, you you you've alluded to some of this history. I try to trace the history as concisely as I can in the book. Uh, in a nutshell, I think that, uh, you know, the, the Christian right's own internal story of when they came together focuses on 1973 on Roe v. Wade, and they very much view their origins in a family values conservatism um, that was, uh, you know, uh, pro-life in their terms. Um, but in reality, that, that skips over um, this uh, period beforehand where uh, a lot of uh, the uh, the coalescence of the Christian right is based in fighting government, big government policies uh, that are uh, trying to get schools, public schools, to integrate. 
right? So uh, this is the creation of uh, so-called segregation Christian academies um, in this period. And then before that, and I trace this back to uh, the New Deal era with FDR, uh, there is this economic conservatism that develops that, uh, you know, it very much views uh, big government as the problem. And, you know, big government at that time is, is the New Deal. And it, it also includes the progressive Christians and the social gospel Christians who are backing up this, uh, you know, New Deal uh, with their own interpretations of the Bible. So, uh, you know, a number of corporations are involved in this history, and they, they're creating a, uh, a, an anti-big government Jesus. Well, the Second Amendment uh, rights people, the gun rights people, uh, are also, you know, very much anti-big uh, government, right? The government won't take our guns. Uh, these rights shall not be infringed, that type of stuff. Um, but you really don't see guns become a big issue with the Christian right until uh, the 70s. So in 1977, at the so-called revolt at Cincinnati, uh, this is a major kind of threshold moment for the NRA, where the NRA is taken over by um, hardline uh, kind of right-wingers who are very, you know, pro-gun rights. But a decade before, we've got Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, as governor of California, signing, uh, you know, gun control bills into law. Um, so it's, a, you know, the, quite a big change happens in this period. And so from 77 onward, we see uh, more and more of a, uh, a convergence of uh, conservative Christian thinking with uh, pro-gun uh, advocacy uh, so that we start to get the idea of, quote, unquote, God-given rights to guns. And uh, those who track this language in NRA publications have found that it really, really increased after the Obama presidency um, as part of this kind of Tea Party reactionary anti-government um, type of conservatism. And uh, they found the Bible verses that they need to back it up. And in the book, I, I say that I think that they're, they're quite wrong in the way that they're using those verses. And, uh, you know, the, the simplest reason is there are no guns in the world of Jesus Christ in the first century CE. No guns? No sl- well, there's a slingshot, but yeah, no. Um... I remember a slingshot, but no guns, no. And- um, so, so the book how, uh, Republican Jesus: How the Right Has Rewritten the Gospels. Tony Caddy is from University of California Press, and I will be sharing where to get the book. But you can get it on uh, from uh, University of California Press, probably from Amazon, any bookseller. Go to your favorite bookseller if they don't have it. Tell them to order about at least a dozen because they're going to need those to sell. <laughs> um, I, I am just so happy to have you here, and I hope you'll come back. And folks, there's just so much more. It, that I haven't gotten into. And, you know, the thing about the Second Amendment, I mean, you know, it's got to have something to do with, I mean, think about it. Just just when when Moses became, what, president of the NRA, you've got to realize that kind of, you know, kind of gives it a little edge. And, uh, <laughs> ten, commandments, and not, ten, ten Amendments, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And the whole bit, oh, Becky, you're going to love this, uh, about uh, uh, Cecil B. DeMille and the Ten Commandments and all that. Uh, you, you, you just got to read it. This is good. This is a great book. This is an excellent book, and this is the man that's got the cred to write it, Tony Kelly. And um, this is a high quality book with a lot of good stuff in it. Well, I've already sick uh, a, a UCC pastor and a uh, rabbi on it. 
Oh, you have? Okay, good. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Everybody buy it. And you can also follow, um, you can read his website. And um, I, I just think it's excellent. Tony, I'm just so grateful. I know you you do your big launches what, on, uh, in October, first week of October, was it the 6th? Or the, you tell me? Mm-hmm, right. And uh, October 6th, but you can get the book ebook um, or the hard copy book, whichever you prefer. And I just wish you all the success. I feel like this is going to be a very successful book, and I'm just uh, so honored to have you here to talk about it. Thank and, you uh, so much, Jen, for this opportunity. It's just been wonderful to, to talk with you, and I, I hope that your, you know, your listeners will uh, join me in, in trying to hold the Christian right accountable uh, for the, the hateful ways that they're using the Bible and, and get out there and vote. <laughs> it is just plain hateful. Well, that's just not right. <laughs> it's just, we don't need hateful. What the world needs is, is it's just, some, just some love and some goodness. What, what, what's the, you know, the Elvis Costello song, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding? Amen, sister. That's it. Um, Tony Ketty, will you come back sometime? I'd love it. I can't wait. Good. And so you're going to be start. Are you going to are you going to be doing a virtual book tour? And if so, um, how how can people find out about it? Uh, if you go to the Republican Jesus Book website, I'm going to list uh, some speaking events on there. I'll be doing a few things, but still kind of putting together the schedule at this point. October should be fun. Okay. Um, right. Tony, check into a Facebook group called The Christian Left. Ah, I might already be in it. Uh, sounds great. All right. it's, I think it's one that you will want to speak to. All right. Mm. And if there's anything we can do for you, Tony, Please. don't ask, just tell, okay? All right, this is Madam Perry right. saying, be good to yourself and be good to each other, and I think you're wonderful. Bye. Well, we were-